0: Good morning, grace and peace to you, it says on the calendar Easter Sunday that we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus every Lord's Day, don't we? Lest we forget and bring him honor and glory. To a large extent, Jesus' life was marked out for him. He came to do his Father's will, and so much of what he did and was to do was prophesied. You read about it in the Old Testament, and more than once we see the Gospel writers using a phrase, something like, so that it might be fulfilled, spoken by the prophet. And this is why Jesus did many of the things that he did. In Mark 10, and that's your first scripture, we see that Jesus understood what was to happen to him. And as many has, have pointed out, how difficult it would have been for him to know the road that he had to travel. You know, we, uh, when we look at our lives and we think, well, what's going to happen this week or maybe next year, and sometimes we start to fret and worry, uh, how's it all going to turn out, what's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to my children, and so forth. Uh, sometimes people have said you don't want to know, because if you know what's going to happen on a certain day, you may not want to get up that morning, you know, it's going to be a bad one. And it's bad enough when you have the bad one, but if you're told this is going to be a bad day tomorrow, you know, what might you do? But Jesus faced that. He knew what his lot in life was to be, and yet he persevered. And that shows in this uh, passage here in Mark 32. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them, and they were amazed And those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Now, the disciples here were amazed because Jerusalem was a a bad place for Jesus, okay? He had been there before. The the religious rulers didn't like him. They knew uh, that they were after him to kill him, all right? So to go to Jerusalem was to put his life in danger. It was to go where he wasn't wanted. And uh, who knows what was going to happen to him. But Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. And that's why it says, you know, he's walking ahead of them. He's leading the way. He says this has to happen. Look what he says in 33. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise again. Jesus gives pretty much in detail what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. He knew it. But he knew he had to do it. And so he persevered to go to Jerusalem at that time. His life had a purpose. It was to fulfill the will of God. God's purpose for us. There was a commandment given, eternal life. And that was to come through Jesus and his sacrifice. And so the Lord wanted to do that for us. And so he obeyed the Father and went to Jerusalem and sacrificed himself. I'm calling this in our lesson, the road to glory. Because it wasn't all a bad thing for Jesus. You know, we think about the cross and his suffering there. Indeed, that was a terrible thing, his burying the sins of the world. But we also read in the book of Hebrews about the idea, it said, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. There was joy, there was celebration, there was victory on the other side of the cross. But he had to endure the cross to receive the glory. And so he did. And in our lesson today, we want to show this road as it wound through, if you will, three particular places in which Jesus was tested and struggled before he reached glory. And those three places are Gethsemane, Gabbatha, and Golgotha. The road went through Gethsemane. Let's turn to Mark 14. At the end of that, it's termed the final week of Jesus, after he'd come into into Jerusalem and... uh, Everyone had praised him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the palms and its coats were thrown in the way. And he had that week. And at the end of that week, as the Passover was coming, he instituted the supper, that supper which we just observed, where he said, this is my body. This is my blood. And then they went out to a place called Gethsemane, where they were... Often want to go, Jesus and his disciples, to find a a peaceable place. Boy, you'd like to find a peaceable place these days, you know. We Shirley and I were on the back porch this morning for a little while. So peaceable. Away from all the phones and the tablets and TV, the noise. A few birds chirping. They weren't noisy, just beautiful to find the peace. Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. It's to the east of Jerusalem. It's called an oil press. There's a garden there. And it's kind of appropriate because Jesus was certainly tested and pressed there in Gethsemane. Mark 14, 32, they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter, and James and John began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. I think he was in this state because he knew he had a mission that must not fail. It dare not fail. It was the weight of this that through him life would come to the human race. That if he failed here at at the cross, all would be lost. We would be lost. We would never have life. That was the great weight of this mission. And so I think that's the greatest weight he was bearing here. Yes, he had to face the cross. Yes, he knew the scourging was coming, uh, which was almost worse than the crucifixion itself, that the tearing of the back and the muscles and the blood, blood that flowed from the scourging was horrible. In fact, we read that many of the people who were to be crucified actually died of the scourging before they were nailed. It was so severe. And that was the point of it, to bring the victim to the point of death so they would not survive on the cross. But he was facing all of this, and he knew he he dare not fail. He had to persevere it would be the final defeat of Satan and the victory for God over evil. Verse 35, And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Did you ever pray that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's true. But if it's possible for God, doesn't mean that God is going to do it. Does it? Sometimes we think that's the case. And we think because God doesn't do something that it wasn't possible for him to do it. But that is not true. He says, remove this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. The cup, of course, being the cross, the weight of the mission, the bearing the sins of the world. That was the cup that he was facing. He had to drink. A metaphor. And so he struggles with that. We see his humanity here coming to the forefront. Father, I don't want to do this. This is hard. I don't want to fail. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be painful. If there's any way, I don't want to do this. He came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so it is. Someday I want to talk about that because it seems like oftentimes the flesh is strong, you know? You ever think about that? That we just can't overcome our own flesh. But Jesus says the flesh is weak. We give in too easily to temptation. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Here in the garden, as we see, Jesus is wrestling with God, his Father. Please take this cup away. Your will be done. I'll drink it, but please take this cup away. He goes back. He prays the same words. He's struggling here with the Father. It's about bearing the sin of the world. Have you ever struggled with God? Back and forth, Lord, what should I do? Why are you doing this? Should I do this or should I not do this? Struggling in prayer. This is actually where a person's walk with God begins. We struggle with God himself. Are we going to submit to the will of God or not. That's really the first one of the first decisions we make as people. Are we going to submit to the will of God? We wrestle with God. Is it worth it to serve you? I know there'll be pain, there'll be trouble, I have to give things up, I have to change my life. God, you say it's going to be good, you say you'll take care of me, you know, you're not going to say everything's going to be great. There will be a struggle, there will be problems, but, You wrestle with God in making that decision. And that's what Jesus was doing here. The road to glory always winds through Gethsemane where you will wrestle with God. You will be tested. Do you want to do the will of God or not? I'm thankful that Jesus agreed humbled himself, and said, Father, I will drink the cup. Aren't you? We need to walk in his footsteps. Following his wrestling with God there in the garden, you remember the, the crowd claimed from the chief priests and scribes with the clubs to arrest Jesus, and they arrested him in the garden. They took him first of all to the Sanhedrin where they had the mock trial and the false witnesses and all that. And he admitted. They said, Are you the son of the blessed one? He says, I am. You say, and, Oh, we don't need to hear anything else blasphemy. Send him to Pilate. We want to get rid of him. And so they sent him to Pilate in a place called the judgment seat or the pavement which is in Hebrew, the Gabatha. John 19 and 7. The Jews answered him, meaning Pilate, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made effort to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man... You're no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. If you read the Gospels, this kind of thing goes on and on, back and forth, between the crowd, the Jews, and Pilate. because Pilate's trying to find a way to release Jesus. Some possible way, some little stipulation in the law or something like that, because he knows they did it for envy, as we read in one place. He knows Jesus is innocent of anything, but the Jews just keep demanding and demanding and demanding that he be crucified. I think verse 9 here, the question is insightful. When Pilate says to Jesus, where are you from? They had said, you know, he makes himself out to be the son of God. If you recall in another gospel, Pilate's wife came to him and said, don't have anything to do with this righteous man because I suffered much in a dream because of him. Pilate knows. I don't know that he would have confessed he was the son of God, but Pilate knows there's something very, very different about this man and that he's innocent. But Pilate just can't find the backbone to stand up to the Jews and say, I'm not going to do it. Um, he just would not release him. Verse 13. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, you know, they're, they're playing the political card, as we would say. The man, you know, says he's a king. He opposes Caesar, and Caesar's your Boss, if Caesar hears about this, you're going to be done. You might end up on, well, no, they wouldn't crucify Pilate. They they would not crucify a Roman citizen. But you might lose your head. You might lose your head. Certainly you would lose your place. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbathom. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. He's trying to pacify them, to, to point them to him. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And I'll tell you what. Those words ring so true if you think about it. Because these people thought they were even serving God, but they weren't, were they? They were absolutely and only serving Caesar. They wanted their place. They wanted their arrangement with Rome. They didn't want to do anything to upset it just as much as Pilate did not. They truly had no king but Caesar. And why, what a warning for us. If we continue to play the games of the world and want what the world wants for us and are afraid to stand up for what's true and right, who is truly our king? Satan, right? We're truly serving him. If we're not stand up for what's right and do what's right, we have no king but the evil one. So Pilate renders the verdict in keeping with the ways of the world. The majority rules, the loudest voice, keep the peace, pacify the crowd, get rid of the troublemaker. So everything can just continue the way it always has. Verse 16, so he handed them over, him over to them to be crucified. Here Jesus was judged by the world, if you will. What do we do with him? Do we want him or not? They didn't want him. Get rid of him. And so they did, or thought they did. And so for us, there will always be a Gabatha, a place where the world will judge you. And to remember Pilate's question where are you from? What would the world say? What would the world say of you? He's from the Lord Jesus Christ, she's from herself. He's from this or that company, to doing this or that. How would the world judge you? Would they say you're a Christian or something else? There will always be a pavement where we will be judged. The next stop, as you know, Golgotha. Let's go to Mark 15. Golgotha means place of a skull. Its exact location is not known. There's a couple different thoughts about where that was. But it is outside the walls of Jerusalem. We do know that. Verse 22 in Mark 15, they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. They tried to get him, give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided up his garments among themselves, casting lots for them to decide what each man should take. It was the third hour when they crucified him. That was about nine o'clock in the morning. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. Interesting, that's all Pilate wrote. That was his crime. They wrote the accusation of the crime on that sign over the person they crucified. That's all Pilate wrote. He's the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled which says he was numbered with transgressors, criminals. the neer ne'er-do-wells, the lawbreakers, Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. The execution squad took his clothes. The crucifixion took his dignity. But no one took his life. He said in another place, I freely give it. I freely give myself to this. No one takes my life. Alone here at the cross, on the cross, as we just seen, hurling the insults at him. Come down from the cross. Save yourself. Bearing the sins of the world. I see Jesus not wrestling with the Father anymore, but wrestling with himself. What will I do? Can you imagine the temptation? If you are the Son of God, Come down. Wow. How many of us have had that spirit of death? I'll show you, right? I'll show, I'll get even with you. I, you watch out. But he didn't. He stayed there. Humbled himself. He had to die to himself just like we do. He had to let the Father exalt him and bring him glory. He didn't take it on his own. What a great lesson for us. 33, when the sixth hour came, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. The ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lama sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's feeling his aloneness with the sin of the world. Your sin and mine at this time. God, I believe, you know, people argue and discuss this, I believe God is hands off at this point. Because he has the sin of the world on his shoulders, on his body. It's on him right now. What will he do? When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, Behold, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave him a drink, saying, Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. I think that showed that Jesus was not writhing in agony on the cross like other men did. He was in full and total control of himself. I'm not saying he was not in pain. But he was the son of God and the son of man on that cross. And the centurion, who was a professional executioner, saw the difference in this man and the way he faced that. Surely he is what he said he was. The road to glory always winds through Golgotha where you will wrestle with yourself. Will you bring glory for yourself or you die to self and live for Christ and let him at the right time on that right day glorify you for your service. But we don't leave Jesus on the cross, do we? John 19 The road to glory also goes through the garden. And I most people don't realize this or remember this. But the garden tomb where Jesus was laid was at Golgotha. It was in the same place. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but a Secret one, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. you know the father sees to everything carefully and tenderly joseph and nicodemus take the body cover it with the spices wrap it put it in the tomb See the father's hand there. That he is taking care of it all. The body of his son. That was the body of his son. But what happens in gardens? Things come to life, right? Things come to life, coming to life in your garden right now, right? Flowers, vegetables. The women first went to the tomb on that first day of the week. Nobody. Peter and John run to the tomb. No, nobody. Then Mary Magdalene. Evidently, she went back. Nobody. That brings us to John 20. I'm going to start with 14. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. She must have recognized his voice. Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father. That's where he was going. This was going to be the joy, the reunion, back with his Father, having accomplished his task on earth. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. What a blessed words of encouragement those are. But Jesus' Father is our Father, and Jesus' God is our God. The same one who gives such great promises that though you are tested and you struggle with him and you have to crucify yourself, that you will live again. That you will live again. God will take care of you through it all. And whatever is buried in the ground if it's buried in Christ will rise again to life. It's pretty much the gospel we've talked about this morning. Are you a Christian? Have you wrestled with God? you want to serve God? The road to glory goes through Gethsemane. Are you a Christian? The road to glory goes through GabaTha. What would the world say of you today? Where are you from? And then through Golgotha, where we must die to self and live for Christ. Is that your life? But then that road to glory, of course, in Golgotha there's a garden where there is the promise for life everlasting. Do you believe the Father? Do you believe Jesus? Won't you come while we stand and sing?